Longest Shortest Time is brought to you by Invitae. Your genes can tell you if you're 12% French or 6% Italian. They can also tell you a lot about your future health. When you take an Invitae genetic test, they search for meaningful health information, like whether you're at an increased risk for inherited cancer or heart disease. Based on your results, you may be able to take steps to potentially lower that risk. Learn more by visiting Invitae.com. That's I-N-V-I-T-A-E dot com. This is the Longest Shortest Time podcast. I'm Hillary Frank. And um, today on the podcast, we're going to do something a little different from usual. We're going to start um, a little series, like a little, a little series within the podcast. Um, as I'm sure you know, what to expect when you're expecting the movie is out now. And um, I thought it would be fun to do our own, like, what what you expect when you're expecting, you know, to, to find a pregnant lady and ask her what she's expecting about, about becoming a mother. And then, you know, to call her every two to three weeks um, after the baby's born to see how things are going and to see how those expectations are panning out. And lucky for me, I found out recently that my friend Joanne, um, my friend from back when I lived in Chicago, is pregnant. Uh, she's due August 13th, so in about her eighth month of pregnancy. Um, and she agreed to be the subject of this little series. And so um, I-, I called her up on Skype to kick off the series. Hello. Hi, how are you? Joanne and I haven't talked in a I'm long good, time, Katie. probably a couple years. Can you can you stand up so I can see your belly? Okay. Hold on. So some things you should know about Joanne before we get started. She's 40 years old. This is going to be her first child. There it is, the belly. She was fortunate <laughs> enough to be able to get pregnant naturally, yeah. even though, as she says, um, she and her husband are as old as Methuselah. Oh, and um, she's tiny. She's five yeah. one. And and there's the and there's the cleavage. Nice. And when she's not pregnant, she weighs about one hundred and two pounds. <laughs> All right. Now let's um let's switch back to audio. I'm gonna take the video off here. Okay. Okay. So so how are you? How are you feeling? I'm feeling fine. All is well. Um, there, you know, I feel. A little bit tired now and then, but other than that, I really have had no problems. So I'm feeling pretty good about the whole thing. That's great. Um, and and you're having a boy? Yes. I can't believe I'm going to have a son. Jesus. You know, when we found out we were going to have a son, I was so excited because I, I was terrified of having a girl because I was convinced that she would hate me all through her adolescence and probably beyond. Uh, and so when I found out it was going to be a boy, I thought, oh, uh, he'll be a mama's boy and we'll have great times. It'll be terrific. And then I thought, oh, Jesus, now I have to be twice as good a parent because what if he becomes an arsonist or a rapist or a war criminal <laughs> or, or all three You know, men are responsible for so many awful atrocities in the world. So now the ante is up, right? So, uh, but two days ago we had a sonogram, and um, there was some sort of accidental moment where the technician was able to catch the light on the baby's face, and I couldn't see the top half of his face, but the bottom half looks just like Jay Reblando, who is your husband. Yes. So, so what about his face? Um, can you describe what about it looked looked like Jay's face? 
Yeah, so it was sort of a broad nose um, and really full lips <laughs> and, uh, and a really pronounced chin. I often grab Jay's chin and, and refer to him as Tutankhamun, like King Tut, because, you know, in the museum they always have that weird brass thing that would be sticking out of Egyptian pharaoh's chin. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Sounds very handsome. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. No question about it. Yeah. So um, what what do you imagine it'll be like after this little um, Jay Reblondo type baby is born? Um, honestly, I I have both a lot of ideas and virtually no idea. Um, so, for example, this birth necessitates that um, our living conditions change. So for the past four years, Jay and I have lived apart for much of the time. Um, I've been living in central Illinois, and he's stayed here in Chicago. For the most part, work is what mandated that. So what we've been doing is I'll live in Bloomington, Illinois, Monday through Thursday, and then come up to Chicago Friday through Sunday. That is going to change uh, very soon because Jay will be relocating to Bloomington and teaching at Illinois State um, for the foreseeable future, uh, which is a great opportunity, um, but it also means that he's starting a new job. I mean, you know, that's stressful under any circumstances, but... Uh, that coupled with a new baby um, and meeting new people and, and all of that uh, could be quite stressful on his end. On my end, I will have a very luxurious maternity leave. I don't have to teach at all the whole fall semester, which is fantastic. Um, it means that I don't have to even think about work until January at which point the baby will be over four months old. And that's re I know how lucky that is because I know a lot of women have to head right back to work after just a few weeks. So I'm, I'm very aware of how privileged that is. However, I sometimes have gothic Victorian horror scenarios of myself alone with the baby in the house having no idea how to stop the baby from crying for eight hours at a time. So that that's sounds sort pretty of... realistic to me. <laughs> uh oh. No, no, no. I was just, I was, I couldn't help but laugh when you said, I'm going to have a very luxurious maternity leave. The word luxurious stuck out to me. I, I, I understand that you were talking about um, the amount of time, but. Um, I think, you know, I had, yes. had, I had these visions before I had the baby, like um, my husband was going to be home for six weeks, and I had this vision that that meant we would be going out for coffee with the baby and out for lunch, and it would be this, like, really nice bonding time for all of us. That never happened. It, he ended up taking seven weeks because yeah. things were such a mess at home, and, and we never, ever... Went out for for anything, <laughs> not to scare you. I'm just saying the the word luxurious jumped out at me. But um, so so back to the the ex expectations. 
um, what do you think you'll do with the baby? And, um, you know, what, what, how will you spend your days? Oh boy. Um, well, I imagine that the perimeter of my existence will probably be the bed and the couch (laughs) for about three months. Um, and so that if that's sort of what I'm trying to be realistic about, especially since I do plan on trying to nurse, I know that that can be incredibly difficult for some women. So I'm realistic about that and uh, will try my best. But if that is successful, then that means that I'm sort of planning on being uh, a food producer and a laundress for about three to four months. <laughs> um, beyond that, I have really no real sense of what to expect. Do you, do you and Jay have a plan for, for nighttime? Like, it's because he's working, are you going to be responsible for all the nighttime feedings and stuff and getting the baby up, or um, is he going to be night guy? You know, Jay really loves sleep. He loves it so much. He has a deep respect for sleep. It's probably the thing that he's most religious about. I, I, we're, we're very lapsed Catholics, but he's a very devout sleeper. <laughs> <laughs> if there were rosary beads that went with sleep, he'd be, he'd be massaging them daily. <laughs> so I, I do worry for his sleep deprivation. I mean, I'm, I'm fairly certain that it's going to be like Guantanamo in there. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Sleep is a torture device. I totally understand how that works, sleep deprivation. Um, but seriously, one of, we haven't discussed it. I, you know, I think we're just going to test it out. But once I go back to work, this is all a fantasy. Who the hell knows what will happen? But uh, ideally, if I'm nursing, if I could get to pumping toward the end of my maternity leave, that would mean that he might be able to participate a little bit more in the whole feeding schedule. And hopefully by then it starts to work itself out. But I wouldn't expect him to feed too much at night only because I'd be concerned about him um, being able to get up for work in the morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, now, I, I'm just realizing, um, so you've had four decades of you know, life basically how you want it. Like you can, you can do what you want when you want, um, to, to, you know, a large extent. Um, how do you feel about, about that changing? Uh, pretty worried. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Um, sure. I'm I'm a very selfish, indulgent person. Um, and I, I don't necessarily mean that in a bad way. I think both Jay and I have been very self-involved people. And part of that has been dictated by our work. So our work requires that we make things. Um, so my husband is a photographer and I write poetry and I try to do a little bit of literary criticism as well. And I enjoy doing that kind of work in quiet. I like doing it uh, in coffee shops and being able to walk outside whenever I want to, go to a coffee shop for a couple of hours, and get it done. 
Um, but over the past few years, my writing habits have been teaching me that I'm capable of writing no matter what. Now, I know that, again, I'm saying that without having children. But I know several women friends who are extraordinary mothers, very devoted mothers, um, who are writing their poetry and making it happen. What that tells me is that they need to write the poetry. They're doing it uh, despite all of the time constraints. Um, and they're finding a way to make it work. And so I have some confidence in that. I don't have confidence in it in the first six months. I think that'll be a wash. But what I'm trying to do in these last few weeks is write as much new material as I can so that when the baby comes, if I only have a, a few spare minutes here and there, um, I can work on revising, which I always find to be less taxing than the actual drafting of the work. I'm sure you've heard a lot of um, moms tell you, oh, you, you'll forget to shower, or you won't have time to shower. What do, what do you think of that? Do you think you're going to be one of those people, or are you going to be on top of your showers? <laughs> uh, I hope for everyone involved that I can shower occasionally. <laughs> uh, I'm a very smelly person, but... <laughs> And in fact, I showed you, I, when I was talking to you at the beginning, I showed you my fantastic cleavage, which never in my life have I had before. But it turns out that if you have that cleavage, it gets sweaty. <laughs> <laughs> and the underboobage so, gets sweaty, too. So I, I know. I, who knew? I had no idea. <laughs> so, uh, oh, it's very, I'm so excited for you guys. I think you're going to be fantastic parents. Uh, actually, that's a question. Do you feel like a mom now? No. <laughs> In fact, when people people will jokingly call me that, and I'll say, oh, no, too soon, too soon. <laughs> um, in fact, I, I have all sorts of, I'm sure that Sigmund Freud would have a, a heyday with whatever my current medical, I'm sorry, mental landscape is, um, because I've already said to Jay, oh, we have to think of some alternatives to, to the name mother. Maybe the kid could call me uh, coach or chief or, um, or El Jefe or something like, I, I don't know. Because I have all sorts of hang-ups about uh, screwing the kid up for his whole life and, and landing him in therapy because I'm such a nut. Um, so, no, <laughs> I don't. Whatever a mother is supposed to feel like, I don't think I feel that way just yet, uh, although I imagine that that will change very, very quickly uh, once things are set in motion. <laughs> things, yes. And um, do you are, you, are you the type of person who's making a birth plan, or are you just kind of like, well, whatever happens, happens? We are going to have some kind of birth plan. We haven't written it up yet. I think we still have a little time for that. Um, so with the particular method that we've chosen, this is the Bradley method, uh, there seem to be two really important aspects to that method, regardless of what ends up happening in the delivery room. Uh, the first is that my husband will be the coach um, for the birthing process, which means he's pretty heavily involved. 
The second thing is the Bradley method encourages that you self-advocate in the hospital space, that you learn every stage of what's going to happen so that, and, and you learn what you can say no to. I think what I'm visualizing ideally is we go to the hospital when it's time. Uh, I wait around for, in a, for a little while in the, the tub that they have, this, you know, this tub where you can sort of just move around without any monitors on you. And then when it's time, um, hopefully he'll come out and do his thing, and we'll see. Do you, do you have ideas about um, what you'll do in terms of sleep um, as, as time progresses? Like, are you going to be a co-sleeper or separate sleeper? I don't know about that. I mean, one thing, I, uh, this friend, one friend of ours downstate who's been so generous, she gave us a bassinet, a beautiful bassinet that is, called a co-sleeper and it has a strap that can go under our mattress so in the early months um, that's something that I am not opposed to and if it works if it's easy enough I would totally be game for doing if it's you know not too crazy Um, as far as after that first three or four months I think we seem to be talking about getting that kid in that crib (laughs) Um, if, if at all possible. Um, and I know that getting a child on a schedule can take a long time for some babies and very little time for others. So I wouldn't even presume to guess how that's going to work out. But I think once the baby starts to get acclimated to what is light, what is dark, what is day, what is night, you know, once I start going back to work, it'll be pretty important for us to at least try to have the baby in a, in his own little crib um, so that he can get used to that. Who the heck knows? I, mean, I don't know, Hillary. <laughs> I, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, it, it's like me talking about, like, something I think. You know, at the stock market or something. I mean, yes, the corn futures are going to be very good next year. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, oh, that's it's really really refreshing to hear. So many people have, you know, very strong opinions about what's going to happen. It actually sets you up for not being disappointed, I think, because you know you could have this idea about how you want it to go, and then it wouldn't work out, and then and then where would you be? But if you just approach it as like, I don't know, then um, you know you're not setting yourself up for disappointment. <laughs> Well, we could also be setting ourselves up for a life of we don't know. I mean, also, though, a lot of my I don't know answers come from a profound skepticism of any sort of certainty about this stuff. Um, You, in the position that you're in, as you look for and create stories about birthing and mothering and parenting and everything else, you must observe this, um, that there is so many different kind of sanctimonious tones that people use when it or sort of a fundamentalism that some people have about different parenting techniques and nursing techniques and birthing techniques. And uh, I resist that sanctimonious tone because it's like, you know what, how could I possibly take a tone like that 
when so many of my friends have had very difficult childbirths. Mm -hmm. So many of my friends have not been able physically to nurse. Well, what what am I going to say in response that, oh, well, you you just didn't try hard enough. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I mean, it's ridiculous. Um, And um, do you... Do you have any, um, like, code names for the baby that, that you and Jay call him when you're referring to him? Jason, do we have any code names for the baby? Uh, Jay calls him the peeper. The peeper? Uh, yeah, sometimes I call him the dude. And um, so since Jason's there, can you can you get him? Can, can he come to the computer? Sure, let me see if he's available. Hold on. Jason? You got a minute? I don't know what she's going to ask you. No, no, it's just, no, it's just audio. <laughs> she doesn't have any clothes on. <laughs> awesome. Love, like father, like son. <laughs> hi, hi, Jason. Shaking. How you doing? Great, great, great. Just uh, anticipating the big arrival. So I just want, are, are you guys both there? Um, Joanne is, uh, is making a mimosa right now. (laughs) I'm here. Hi. So, um, so as you sip your mimosa, I just wanted to, I just wanted to, um, say congratulations to you both and, um, best of luck with everything. I can't wait to hear how it all goes and to check in with you. Uh, I guess the next time I talk to you, you'll you'll be a mama and a daddy. Yeah, yeah, that that's uh, all signs point to yes. <laughs> <laughs> the belly points to yes. <laughs> Great. Well, the um, you know the our birth plan will be a magic eight ball. <laughs> <laughs> perfect. Perfect. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for talking, Joanne, and um, wishing wishing you um, happy mama thoughts and happy daddy thoughts, and um, you know all, all the best of everything. And, and I can't wait to talk to you again. Thank you. Same here. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to the Longest Shortest Time podcast. I'm Hillary Frank, and I'll be back with Joanne once she has the baby a couple weeks in. Um, who knows, maybe end of August, uh, beginning of September, maybe earlier in August. We'll see. So once her son is born, um, we'll check in with her to see how things are going. If you want to see that sonogram Joanne was talking about that shows the baby's face looking like his dad's, you know, the one with the the King Tut chin, and trust me, it really, really does look like his dad. It's kind of scary. Go to our blog, longestshortesttime.com. And if you have a story about a surprising struggle in early parenthood that you'd like me to consider for this podcast, go to longestshortesttime.com and click contact. I'm standing outside Smithsonian's National Museum of American History. Inside, there are like a trillion objects, and I have to go in there and find ten. So we open a drawer here, and there's Indiana Jones's jacket and Indiana Jones's whip. What is this? Now Prince donated this guitar. <gasps> I'm Asif Manvi, and I am lost at the Smithsonian. Where do I begin? 
This place is obviously full of fascinating stuff. Fonzie's jacket, right. worn by Henry Winkler on Happy Days. There are 156 million objects in the Smithsonian's collections. Here are Muppets. These aren't just objects. They're pieces of America's self-identity. I'm looking at a, a robe with the name Muhammad Ali. Only 10 episodes, only 10 objects. That's pretty amazing. Lost of the Smithsonian is out now. Subscribe now in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen.